Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. It's time for another post-debate instant reaction with Bill Crystal. This podcast brought to you, by the way, by our friends at Cricket Shirts. And Bill, I'm wearing one of my luxurious Cricket Polo shirts, and I managed to not get any alcohol on it for a change because there were so few spit takes tonight. And I'm wondering, is it because this debate was the least bad of the three, or have we all been shocked so many times that our standards are so low and we simply can't be surprised anymore by the words coming out of these candidates' mouths? Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, Pat Moynihan had that famous phrase, defining deviancy down, and maybe we've just defined expectations <laughs> down. I still think if we went back and looked at a normal debate, Romney-Obama or something, we'd be a little bit surprised. I mean, Trump is incoherent half the time. We're sort of amazed when he can spend 90 seconds making a pretty coherent point. And Hillary Clinton, I've got to say, I mean, all these years of experience, and she presumably knows the issues better than Trump, and she's unimpressive as well. But I guess I have the it was enough. I thought neither did any great damage for the great bulk of the debate, which presumably helps Clinton as the front runner. But I do think that one moment when Trump refused to say what everyone says, you know, uh, that he will accept the election results and respect those results. Uh, that was a pretty big moment. The media has gone totally nuts about it. I noticed we're, t- we're talking what about 45 minutes after the debate is over and the media is hyperventilating and being self-righteous and being annoying. And one almost wants to say, hey, calm down. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a little unfair. But on the other hand, it really isn't unfair in the sense that you've got to say it. You know, I mean, you can say that you have some <laughs> issues. You want to have observers and, and polls that you, you worry a little bit about. But you cannot say ahead of time, I'm just going to wait and see whether – you know, I'm sort of okay with the results. You just, in a democracy, that really is a dangerous thing to say. And Trump uh, didn't have the self-discipline to sort of be, at least pretend, whatever he thinks, to pretend to be gracious. And I do think he'll be punished for that. And with good reason. I mean, I, right. is he, uh, in the end, will he accept the results of the election? Almost certainly so. But this is like basic, you know, blocking and tackling of politics. When someone asks you, do you want to kiss the baby? The answer is yes. When someone asks you, do you want the envelope full of cash from the union guy while you're staying in front of a TV camera? The answer is no. And will you accept the election? Yes. And it, it goes back to the fact that this is the same Trump that we saw in the Republican primary debates. He simply isn't taking the job of being a candidate for president seriously. Yeah, in a weird way, maybe that's because he doesn't take the job of being president seriously. He thinks it would mean going around giving speeches and, you know, doing deals. And somebody just really has never thought through what it means to be president. And I think you see that in the failure to, yes, appreciate what really matters about being a, a candidate. No, look, I, I, a candidate has to say it. I mean, I, I think the rest of our, our attitude should be. Of course, we will all accept the results, and at some level, one doesn't care. I don't care personally what Donald Trump says on election night. I think it would be better for the country, since he will have 40 or 50 million votes, if he says to my voters, let's respect the new president and let's hope the country does well over the next four years. That's a nice thing. It's an appropriate thing. It's a helpful thing for civic comedy. But I actually now think the attitude of other leaders, both political and, and, and other kinds of leaders in the country, has to be, well, if Trump doesn't say it, fine. The rest of us have to say it, and we trust our fellow citizens to act in that way. So I mean, in a way, and all the media you know, whining and screaming, or Trump has to say that, he has to say that. He doesn't have to say it. He just needs to be ignored if he doesn't say it. Uh, the other thing that uh, has been a constant since the Republican primary debates is how poor a job Donald Trump has done 
in the you know, activity of debating, for example, the issue of security and Russia comes up and Donald Trump barely mentions Hillary Clinton's email problems. He doesn't mention at all an unsecure server. He doesn't go to the national security aspect. Instead, it's the, I don't know who Putin is and I don't know what's going on. And, you know, hey, what about those 33,000 emails? And that's it. And I'm just going, man. Any, I could grab a guy off the street, Bill, and with like three days of training, I get no joke. My typical talk radio listeners would have done a better job debating those issues than Donald Trump has done. I agree. He brings one of the moms from Benghazi to the debate and never mentions the word Benghazi. You know, um, occasionally he'll remember what a little trick, you know, uh, sort of uh, chunks from his one of his from his stump speeches, and those are okay, and he can get that out on immigration or one or two other issues. But no, it is really appalling. He he doesn't prepare in any serious way, and uh, that look he got through the Republican primaries that way. Uh, he he, you know, survived the first month or two of the general election, keeping it closer than a lot of people thought. Uh, it looks to me from the polls that going to this debate, he really was down six points, maybe even slightly on the uh, higher side of that. Um, I've got to think after this debate, after the general the, accepting the election results, the rigged election stuff, uh, after that sort of percolates for the next two, three days. And given that Hillary Clinton does have a turnout operation, which I think is usually overrated, but still worth a point or two, and Donald Trump has much, doesn't have much of one, we could be looking at a 10-point, you know, 50-40 kind of, 50-41 Hillary Clinton victory, I should think. Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, this is uh, this is still a little unpredictable, but I, I got to think it's getting pretty baked in. It's hard for me to believe that a lot of voters are still up in the air. And uh, and I do think Repub one thing to look for in the next few days is Republican congressional candidates uh, really pivoting much more dramatically to basically saying and accepting Hillary Clinton is going to be, they won't say going to be, they'll say it's very likely to be or seems likely to be from the polls, our next president, and you need me there to check and balance her. I think that message has been surprisingly muted so far. I guess they, people didn't want to be criticized before the debates ended and somehow somehow uh, uh, abandoning Trump. Trump obviously is not the type to accept it graciously, unlike Bob Dole in 1996, who in a way gave permission to Republican congressional candidates to make the case that they were needed to check uh, Bill Clinton. And, and in fact, they did hold Congress, even though Clinton won by about eight, nine points. Um, I think that's going to be dramatic in the very next beginning tomorrow morning, I would say. And uh, it's easy to make the case that Hillary needs to be checked because of her ongoing dismal performances. And it just jumped out at me. She had some good attacks lined up for Trump. The uh, He always complains that it's rigged riff that the, she had obviously memorized. Her defense of the third, she finally got a defense to the 30-year, you've done nothing attack, finally, in the final debate. Right. But uh, 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 my, uh, Chris Wallace, and I'm going to talk to him in just a second, Every direct question he had for her, she had, it was astonishing to me. She had no answer. She had words, but they were either pivots or avoidances or nothing. She, the tough questions about her record in foreign policy, the tough questions about pay for play. She literally had no answer to pay for play. None. Yeah, she had no answer. And then on issues where you'd think she really obviously was, she knew there would be a segment on the economy, presumably. She knew she'd have a couple of minutes to lay out her plan. That remains just unbelievably bad for an experienced volunteer. It was below the level of a typical congressional candidate making the case. And I'm not talking about the substance, whether you have a liberal plan, a big government right. growth, you know, plan, or a, or, or a small government cut taxes plan to grow the economy. Just the rhetoric was so bad. And, and also, David Oxerod has made this point repeatedly. It's amazing that, that she doesn't, I mean, Trump doesn't either, but you don't expect him to do it, but she doesn't have a bunch of instances she can pull out, people she's met. She has that 
that one girl she mentioned, I guess, who didn't want her parents to be deported. Right. But otherwise, you know, no stories, no anecdotes, no narrative. It's just kind of a incredibly um, platitudinous kind of uh, briefing book level talking points about her economic plan and how she'll fix Obamacare and all that. The foreign policy stuff was really amazing. I mean, she was Secretary of State. She might as well take advantage of that <laughs> and try to show, show that she's dealt with some of these issues. She knows more about them. But instead, she gave, you know, sort of B-minus level, you know, I don't know what, you know, second year, first year, freshman, sophomore level international relations courses answers on what she would do about Syria or, or other parts of the world. I, I really, I don't know, maybe I'm being too harsh, but I I guess I'm a little uh, rattled. You're not. I mean, I'm rattled. Not in the I think she's going to win the election. I'm rattled in the Senate. She's not a president. I was ever going to whose policies I was mostly going to like or who I really admire much personally. But I, I'm sort of rattled that she's not going to be even as minimally good at the job or competent at the job as I kind of assumed she might be. No, her answers were so bad that the only way she could get away with them was having someone even worse across the table right. from her. I mean, Donald Trump, when he was trying to answer policy questions, it was like that scene in Tom Sawyer where the, you know Sawyer has gotten the through trading and bartering enough little tickets to get the, the prize Bible and the big deacon's there and asks him to name two apostles. And he, of course, has no idea. And he blurts out uh, David and Goliath. You know, I mean, it's it's that's Donald Trump. Uh, he's you, he's working his way through a, you know, these few facts he's memorized, and that's it. But I, but one other thing about the weakness of Donald Trump, there are actually two issues where Hillary hurt herself because her positions are so out of line with the American people: abortion on demand and uh, antipathy towards the Second Amendment. She she sounded like like uh, you know a, a college kid. You know, who just hates guns talking about Heller. She got the facts completely wrong. No, I, you know, she probably knows and was dissembling. And uh, in a normal election year, her positions would really hurt her. But this isn't going to be normal. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he just is incapable at the kind of level that a normal so-so uh, congressional candidate can do of, of pursuing the argument of counterpunching, of really explaining, well, wait a second, that's not what that case was about. And here's why it's important to have judges who would uphold the Second uh, Amendment and so forth. So, yeah, it was it was um, uh, it wasn't great. It wasn't it wasn't a heartening and it wasn't the worst, I guess, we've seen, except for Trump's answer on the election, on the rigged elections. But it wasn't it wasn't the worst we've seen throughout. There were moments when they were semi-coherent. But, gee, um, to think that this is the, the level of these two candidates is, is a little depressing. So what, last, what did you think of Chris Wallace? Oh, yes. Chris Wallace. Uh, I, I vote Chris Wallace should be a, uh, it should be written into the Constitution. All presidential debates should be moderated by Chris Wallace. Yeah, he did a good job. I totally agree. He, these are not very, I mean, he, Trump is not very substantive and Hillary is, likes obfuscating. So it was hard to make it a substantive debate. But Wallace did as much as he could have. Chris did as much as he could have to do that. He kept a firm hand without being obtrusive. It was impressive, I thought. Yes. And uh, it's also a point. It points out just how pathetic the previous performances were. I mean, Martha Raddatz does not look better today because of Chris Wallace's performance. So the last question is this. How movable do you think the electorate is now? You mentioned earlier, you know, baked in. This is the last debate. There's, you know, less than three weeks to go. Can something happen to create the kind of shift that could put Donald Trump within striking distance of winning? Well, I mean, God knows this is not the year to be uh, uh, saying that things, strange things couldn't happen and that I just couldn't or that I couldn't be wrong or the polls couldn't be wrong or, or there could be a last minute move. But 
I don't see it. I've got to think everyone has now seen them a lot. Uh, you know, it's hard to see what surprise issue. You know, one thing that surprised me is he didn't really have any surprise attack on her, right? right. There was no actual sort of, aha, you know, sort of try to attempt to kind of catch her off guard. Maybe it's impossible because everything's been argued already, but I kind of thought they would have worked up something. But he basically just showed up and repeated his standard, you know, as I say, uh, you know, little chunks of his stump speech and, and whatever. Now, I, I think it's getting, I think it is actually, well, let me put it this way. History would suggest, if you look at, if you assume that really is a five, six, seven point race right now, even a four point race, which is about as close as almost all the major polls have it, there is no instance of uh, a race reversing with that kind of margin, I don't believe, in the last two and a half weeks. Once the debates are done, the candidates, are, of course, are totally well known in this case. And it seems to me, uh, and she has a pretty big advantage in money, a pretty big advantage in a ground game. It's just hard for me to see, honestly, how he makes uh, a very close race of it. And I think the interesting thing will be to watch over the, not just the next week or next days, but like tomorrow morning, what Republican congressional and Senate candidates start to say. And uh, no, I don't think people have factored in the cascade effect. It is going to be very hard to keep supporting Trump when the people around you are jumping and when it looks like a sure loser. And uh, I, I personally, I don't think he's going to break 40%. I think this is no, going I think to that's be, possible. I think just yeah. Yeah, one last point on that. I mean, and that's why I mentioned the congressional thing a couple of times. I think the effect of that kind of cascade is, you, you know, if you're a Republican who doesn't like Trump, you're certainly not going to vote for Clinton. Um, you know, you just get discouraged and you just don't vote. Right. That's why the, the Republican congressional candidates and Senate candidates really need to start energizing those kinds of Republicans to come out to vote. If they depend on Trump voters to vote for them or people who just already, you know, love them, I mean, that's fine. That's a few voters in different states and congressional districts. They need a lot of weak Republicans who are probably deciding right now, I guess Hillary Clinton's going to be president. You know what? I don't want to vote for her. I don't have any confidence in Trump. They need that person to still come out to vote for Marco Rubio for Senate or Barbara Comstock for Congress in Northern Virginia or Mike Gallagher for Congress in Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, and that's that's not easy to get those, those you know, all, all it takes is a drop off of what, five, eight percent right. of those weak Republicans and suddenly a bunch of congressional seats and a bunch of Senate seats start to go down the tube. So that is where I think making the energizing people to see how important it is to have a Republican Congress. That is the key task for Republicans over the next two weeks. And for people who want to see some uh, advocacy of limited government principles that used to be part of the conservative coalition, but now apparently you and I, Bill, have been delegated to like the back booth in the restaurant right by the restroom. And uh, there's no room for us small government types anymore. So if we're going to find a rear guard action, we're going to have to fight that rear guard action in Congress. Thanks so much for joining us for the uh, Immediate Reaction Podcast, Bill. We appreciate your time. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. And thanks again to the folks at Cricket Shirts, C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. Cricket makes comfortable, sharp-looking polo shirts that perfectly mix old-school style and modern design. But that's not why I want to talk about cricketshirts.com. I want to thank them for finally ending the battle of the shirts at my house. See, I always wear polo shirts when I'm not at work. Summertime, it's polos and cargo shorts. Winter, it's polo and jeans. And I find polo shirts that I like because they have the right feel, you know, the material, or they're not too skinny, or they're not too boxy. And then my wife wants to throw them away after a few washes because she says that they look bad, the collars get all crunchy in that bacon collar thing, or they kind of look faded. And I, But baby, I like that shirt. And so we've been fighting because I tell her, you get rid of that shirt, it may take me months to find another one that I like as much. Until... I found 
CricketShirts.com. Cricket shirts are made with super soft, 100% certified organic cotton, making their shirts as comfortable on the 19th hole as they are at the 18th. The shirts are not too baggy, not too skinny, and Cricket shirts come with removable collar stays to keep the collars looking crisp and new. No more bacon collar. Now, I know a lot of guys are like me, buying clothes with the internet, uh, but listen, Cricket shirts offers free, no-hassle returns and exchanges, plus... Because you listen to the Weekly Standard Podcast, you can get 20% off your first purchase. Just go to CricketShirts.com. That's C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. CricketShirts.com slash Weekly Standard. Use the promo code Weekly Standard. It'll be 20% off your first purchase. And I promise you, it won't be your last purchase. You are going to love CricketShirts.com. C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. CricketShirts.com slash Weekly Standard. Use the promo code Weekly Standard. And thanks again to Cricket Shirts for supporting this podcast. 